Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer. I'll be asking the questions, and with me is my brother Matthew. He'll be giving the answers. Matthew, say hello. Hello. Before we get into this episode, I want to remind people that we have ways to support the podcast that goes along the lines of watching if you're on YouTube or listening if you've got our podcast via a podcast provider. You can also go to stilltbd.fm. You'll find a link there that takes you to the cookie jar that takes coins. And we appreciate whatever kind of support you're able to give, whether it's monetary or just your time and attention. Some comments on our last episode, which was, of course, better off meat. And (laughs) we say it's better off not for you, but I think I wrote that title with the intention of it's better off for the animals. Yes. User X wrote, when watching the videos, I couldn't help wondering, is there any research to replicate fish meat as well? Or is this just land-based animals? The octopus meat idea and something like crayfish or lobster might be quite lucrative, but maybe the market is too small. Matt, what did you find in your research? Um, Everything I had seen was like, it seems like everybody's starting with like cattle and chickens and things like that, that are probably the most consume meats on the planet. So they're starting there first. And once they kind of perfect those, it sounds like they're going to be branching out into pretty much anything you can think of. So it sounds like fish is coming. Um, It's just, they're not focusing on it right now. Right. I also think that there's a very good argument to be made that the fish market could in fact be bigger because of the direct environmental impact that fishing, fishing is having on the oceans with you can't fish without accidentally taking other fish. True. And there's always been a big argument about the impact that we have from a environmental perspective just from what we accidentally take out of the ocean and the animals that are affected by that. So I think that there's absolutely, I would think, a market for fish consumers who would want. Yeah, there definitely options. is. Yeah. But it's it's more of, I think, part of the reason they're focusing on cattle and chickens is because of all the farmland that's used to grow the grains that you feed the animals right. and all the water it takes. And it's like, there's a huge impact just from that alone to focus yep. on that market first. And then fish, I, it, it's, if this works, I, I imagine every meat you can think of will be cloned. And as we joked about last time, it's like, if you make human meat, is that cannibalism? <laughs> right. like, you know, there's going to be some kind of black market cloned meat of things you really shouldn't be eating, but you can. Yeah. So, yeah. I also like this comment from Pale Ghost. Pale Ghost has written in before. Thank you so much for being a regular listener, Pale Ghost. Ghost writes, the thing I'm most excited for is space travel. Astronauts won't be stuck with freeze-dried packages anymore. Imagine cooking a burger on the side of the space station with the sun's direct heat. I really like that outside the box thinking. <laughs> it's like taking tinfoil, yeah. putting your chicken in, and putting on the you know on top of your engine when you go for a drive. Yeah. <laughs> By the time you're done, it's all cooked. I just like the idea of putting on the whole exosuit and then grabbing a spatula, <laughs> going out the, please open the pod bay doors. I'm going to go out. Do you like it medium rare? 2001 music 2001. playing. <laughs> Flipping the burger. Of course, you couldn't flip the burger. You'd actually have to hold the burger against the side of the space station. So, Yes. 
Because if you flipped it, it would just keep going. <laughs> William Lethen wrote, chicken skin chips might win over potato chips. And I got to say, William. <laughs> Sean's with you. I'm getting in line. <laughs> if they sold bags of chicken skin chips, I would absolutely <laughs> Eat the living God out of those. A, a greasy, greasy I face would, all the time. I would have a greasy face all the time. I wouldn't be able to pick anything up because of all the, the grease on my fingers. Oh, delicious, <laughs> delicious chicken skin. And yes, if they were able to 3D print it or they were able to, like, without it being a thing that required the killing of the chickens and you could, you could actually go and just buy a bag of that stuff. I think that it would, there would be market for weird new foods like that. Yes. So this is a, this is a thing where it wouldn't surprise me if Frito-Lay was investing <laughs> somewhere in it's, this with the future of like, it's now chicken skin Fritos. It's, what's funny is this is why a lot of people are freaked out about this because it's like you're opening Pandora's box with this kind of technology. It's like, what is this going to <laughs> turn into, yeah. you know, 20, 30 years from now? And some of it could be kind of horrific or absolutely amazing. <laughs> well, it goes, it, it harkens back to sci-fi tropes of TV yeah. shows and movies that show people eating things that are intended to look different. And so it's the thing, like somebody unzips a pouch and then squeezes out, extrudes something out of this packet and slurps it down and says that's their lunch. And 30 years ago, it was like, ooh, that's weird. And now people do shake replacements for meals all the time. Mm -hmm. And we have various combinations of proteins and carbs and everything you mix with water or with milk or yogurt and you, and you eat these things. And if you were able to I mean, you could effectively say, okay, I'm, I'm going to go get some chicken and it could be literally printed in shapes to make it trendy. Mm -hmm. You could yeah. have chicken spheres. You could have chicken pyramids. You could have beef cubes that were literally perfect cubes. So we're going to, if this does catch on, if this, if this technology works, novelty food that is actually just digestible food as opposed to having to like monkey around with like, Oh, we're adding gelatin to this and the extruding that and putting it in this mold, literally being able to say like, Oh yeah, I'm going to go get a burger, but it looks like it's, you know, it's shaped like a globe. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. It's going to be novelty items like that will become very easily achievable and it will get really goofy really fast. <laughs> and again, <laughs> Chicken skin chips make this happen. <laughs> and finally, from Jared Marsh, he just writes, and I assume he writes from Australia. Rue is great. <laughs> yes, nearly all, nearly all supermarkets here sell it, and it's cheap. So I assume he is writing from Australia, and he's referring to, of course, to kangaroo. Yes. Not the Winnie the Pooh character, little baby Roo, um, which <laughs> Who's delicious. would be very dark. <laughs> so today's episode, we're going to be talking about Matt's most recent episode from his channel. These computers could heat our homes, exploring waste heat recovery. This is from August 17th, 2021. 
and it is discussing companies that effectively give you a computer server that is then used for either direct heat production in the form of a heater within your room yep, or for water heating capabilities. And one of the things that was pointed out that these servers have the ability to heat water up to around 140 degrees Fahrenheit. Yep. This of course is hot enough that I, I assume that that's on par with what we would get out of our taps if we needed to wash the dishes or run a yeah. washing machine, right? It's around 140 yeah. degrees. Yeah. So turning on the tap, it comes out, it's comparable to what you're currently using. Of course, when you are going to your tap and getting hot water out, hopefully you're not doing that to drink it. It's always not, it's always been recommended not to drink hot water straight from the tap. Like you wouldn't make tea that way. So this is not consumable potable water. This is heating of the water, heating of a room, using a, a device that is unexpected in this, in, this, in this vein. But this company that you talked to, and what was the name of the company again? Uh, Corneau. Corneau seems to be having great success with finding a market not only for the heating issue, but for server farms that don't actually exist as a farm. Yeah. No, it's, they aren't the first company to do this. They're the first company to succeed doing this. There there have been other ones that have, I can't, I'm blanking on their name, but they've tried this for years and then just failed and went out of business. And Corneau is really kind of like a typical startup adjusting and kind of going with the flow where one of their systems, which is that radiator looking like system, they still make, but that's not their focus anymore because there's limitations with that system because you put that in your house, you're only going to be using that during the cold months. And then in the summer months, you're not going to be using it at all. So it becomes just a defunct computer sitting there on the wall where the boiler system, which cannot just be for hot water for drinking, it's hot water for heating for like radiator systems as well. It's, it's, it can be used in multiple ways. Um, that's, 24 seven it's like you always need hot hot water in the middle of summer and winter so it's like in the northern colder regions of the world you put these boiler systems in and you can be using them 24 hours a day seven days a week um across a distributed network and that's to me the part that fascinated me the most i did a a video a while back on micro factories with a company called arrival which is an ev company that's instead of building gigantic gigafactories they're building smaller like an existing warehouse, they take retrofit and put some build outs in there and can start building buses like on a small little micro factory scale. Mm-hmm. This is something similar where they don't have to build these massive infrastructures and farms. It's like, okay, here's a office building owner. They install our boiler system in the, the their basement and here's another place, an abandoned warehouse. We put one in there and then just virtually they work as one gigantic system and they can process all the information they need and can sell off basically their IT services which is how they make their real money. And right. he, he drove that home to me a few points in the conversation, which was they are they look at themselves as they're an IT company first, and right. then they're an energy heat provider second. So they don't look at themselves as we're selling heaters. It's no, we're selling IT services, and we're doing it in a distributed model that can also have this secondary benefit that they can actually capitalize on. Yeah. And one of the advantages, of course, as he described it is they're not having to put together, not only are they not having to put together construction to build 
spots yeah. for themselves, mm-hmm. which of course would have an impact environmentally. They don't have to figure out, well, we've got this office that is full of this, these servers for our farm and it generates so much heat that we have to put in these huge air conditioning units to keep the building cooler. Mm-hmm. That's completely contrary to the point. Yep. So there's two wins. So it seems like it's an idea that should work. And you mentioned the companies that failed in the past. Do you think that some of that failure was attributable to slower computing speeds at the time to what was able to be provided via internet, not being as capable as is available now like do you see an issue that might have been the tipping point for why it might be working now and it didn't work 10 years ago i i think that's a good question i don't have a good answer for it but it's just reading between the like reading the tea leaves it sounded like from what i've seen it had to do with maybe a little bit of mismanagement um Mm -hmm. typical startup fashion not adjusting your business model quick enough to like sticking to to your original vision to a fault where it's actually not going to be profitable with what you're doing. But if you just adjust your trajectory over here and do this thing a little differently, there's profitability on that path. I think it was those kind of decisions that really tripped them up and made them not succeed where Carnot seems to be doing some of that adaptability and like, okay, the heater model may not be the right model. This boiler model is probably where we should be focusing because we can do a better job selling our IT services and like focusing in that direction seems to have unlocked a future for them where if they had maybe stayed with their original models, they may have gone the same path of failure. Right. But I think, I think that ultimately is where, where the fault lies is just not executing on the vision and being adaptable uh, quick enough. There was also a reference in the video to the carbon footprint decrease percentage being, I believe it was around 85%. Yes. I'm, I'm curious. It was a little unclear in the video as that's a decrease from what, from what place are they decreasing? Is it from the typical, a company doing the same thing they do, but with a server farm in a warehouse that they own and then have to refrigerate? Is that where that calculation is coming from? It's that combined with the benefits that they're getting by generating the heat for reuse. So they're basically providing clean, free heat to the places that have this installed, which means they're not having to get heat from other sources. And that's where a lot of that benefit comes down. So it's not just from their IT services and their computers. It's coming from primarily how much heat generation they're pulling off the market because they're killing two birds with one stone. Okay. So it's a little bit like saying if a power company was talking about the percentage of carbon footprint decrease based on having uh, wind turbines put in and calculating overall power usage from its from its consumers as opposed to just just think, the company's activities itself. Yeah, think about it this way. It's like if you have one megawatt of power that's required to run a data farm data center and then you have one megawatt of power that's required to heat people's homes and then you put those th- two things together you're still using the one megawatt for the data center 
but you no longer need that one megawatt to heat people's homes. You've just right. saved a megawatt of energy production, and that's the the decrease that right. you're, you're getting. I'm curious, do you see other companies that are trying to do the same thing? And part two of the same question, what kind of expansion is this company looking for in the future? There are other companies doing things that are similar. Uh, not not exactly similar. Like Corno is the one that I found that is like doing this thing where it's a boiler system that can go pretty much anywhere in this distributed model. They're kind of alone, the leader at the moment. Um, but there are other heat recovery companies that are partnered with those massive data centers. Um, some of them are like Facebook is doing it themselves, but then there's other companies that are using third-party services to help create these heat recovery systems that can reuse steam or heat or whatever off of whatever the machinery or data center is doing to provide heat to an, an adjacent building or an adjacent apartment or to a town that's nearby or something like that. So this heat recovery in general it has a lot of companies and people doing things that are very innovative and interesting. But this was the one that I only one I found that is doing something just like this, which is this very distributed modular, put it where the heat is actually needed model. And if anybody knows of any that I didn't come across, let me know, because I'd be really interested to find out if there's others, but I didn't see any. And currently they are actively working in Europe mm -hmm. and in particular oh, yeah. Northern Europe and they're looking to expand to the United States and Canada at some yes. point in the future. They're not actively here yet. Is that correct? Correct. No. And as somebody pointed out in the comments of my video, the way he pronounced uh, Canada, Canada, yeah. Canada, it sounded like he was um, referencing the movie Akira where you're yeah. Yeah. Canada. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're not here in the United States or Canada yet, but they are basically in like Germany, France, that zone. And they're going to be expanding. It sounds like in Europe first and then once they get more of a foothold there they're going to be coming over here but right. their whole basic thing is they're basically staying to the colder climates because yeah. that's where it makes the most sense and you could look at that as a negative i don't it's like there's so much potential of expansion in just that region it's like they got lots of room to expand and grow right so for some comments on the video that stood out to me include this one from bookman's blues bookman wrote as a virtu as a VFX artist, I can attest to the heat issues associated with rendering 3D scenes. I am able to heat my two-story home with four <laughs> GPUs rendering via Octane during the winter with the windows yeah. open. Smiley face. Yeah. So, and there were a number of comments in response to this with a couple of people saying they intentionally overclock their computer during the winter to get additional heat to heat their apartment. <laughs> yep. And then people respond to that saying, are you sure you're not going to blow your computer up? And there was a discussion that was taking place of people talking about how to overclock and what is safe overclocking. And it was a very interesting back and forth. So if people are interested in that, it all starts with Bookman Blue's comment at the top of the video. I love that. There was also this from Nitya Sattva. Nitya wrote, Living in the north of Sweden, I have been heating a stable for 160 chickens with crypto miners for six to seven years now. <laughs> it has that. not always been free, but cheaper than traditional heating for sure. Long term so far, it has been a nice extra income as well. My response to that immediately was talk about a, building a nest egg. Oh, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> the, the one thing, I, I don't know if people will get this reference nationally, but there's a... Uh, um, uh, television personality chef uh alton brown from the food network 
always in his show, Good Eats would always be like anti, he called them unitaskers, like a kitchen utensil that was like, this is just a, this is built for, only thing it does is like cut an egg. It's all it does. Unitaskers, stupid. He was always about multitaskers. And I'm in the same realm in this. And that's one of the reasons I love that comment is that he, you need a heater to keep your chickens warm and you're doing yeah. crypto mining. So let's just put the crypto mining computers really with the chickens. Kind of, yeah. I love that. It's genius. It's so great. Yeah. And just you know, the chickens just sitting there happily clucking away and laying eggs. Little he's earning Bitcoin. Bitcoins <laughs> running around in the computer yeah. next to them. And finally, I wanted to end with this little positive note. This is just somebody just kind of standing up and telling Matt they think he's doing a good job. BZ writes, just wanted to say your channel and a couple of others are what I consider to be anti-news. That is, instead of constant worry and bad news worldwide, your channel exposes me to the positive side of tech and the ways human ingenuity is helping us adapt and to optimize a changing world. I appreciate the thought you put into these videos and always enjoy watching and getting a cool new perspective on something. In this case, on the idea of waste computing being harnessed in a useful way. Thanks, Matt. So just wanted to say that, share that with the uh, positive vibes, given a lot of the stuff that's going on in the world and how dark the news is constantly and consistently. I think that this is a good reminder that if we take the time and look for little ways to breathe and look for some yeah. positivity and some attempts by people to make the world a better place, we can be reminded that not everything is sinking into the ocean. I really appreciate that comment. And I agree hundred percent that human ingenuity can be really enlightening and give you hope. It's like you just got to look for it. Yeah. So I've got a question for the listeners. Would you welcome an outside server into your home for heat? Let us know in the comments. You can find the contact information in the podcast description. You can also, if you're watching us on YouTube, seeing our smiling faces, so glaringly handsome <laughs> and modest. <laughs> you can just scroll down below the video and leave a comment there. Wherever you're checking us out, please do subscribe. Don't forget, we do have a way to directly support the podcast. You can visit stilltbd.fm and you'll see the support the podcast link there. You can throw some coins in the jar. And however you're supporting us, whether it's directly through that link or whether it's just listening and subscribing, please be sure to give us a rating, a review, and share us with your friends. All of those really do help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew is thinking about getting 160 chickens. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.